0: Let's get into the Word of God. Uh, we're in Revelation twenty-one, twenty-one. Revelation twenty-one. I all of a sudden got confused. All right, Revelation twenty-one. We're almost done with Revelation. I can't believe it. I'm like, it kind of still in shock that we're actually almost done with the Book of Revelation, and we're into some of the good parts now. Before we get started with reading today, I want to pull up this chart that David made for us a couple weeks ago, just to set the scene for Revelation and see, just so you can see it and. So remember in the book of Revelation, the first few chapters were about the church, the church, and there were letters to the seven churches of Asia. Then John was caught up to heaven. and Okay, I guess our projector is going out there. Uh, John was caught up to heaven, and uh, and then he begins seeing what's going to happen. And we, we start out with Christ opening up a scroll, and he's basically breaking the seals, the seven seals of the scroll, and each seal has a judgment that comes after it. After those judgments, the, the seventh seal brings about the seven trumpets. And there's seven trumpet judgments. And then those bring about the seven bowl judgments during this tribulation period on earth for this seven-year period. After that, we go to the millennial reign of Christ, which is not on this slide which we talked about last week, where Christ returns, sets up his 1,000-year reign on the earth, and for a 1,000 years he reigns, Satan is bound. At the end of that 1,000 years, he's loosed, and he goes forth deceiving, and there's a great battle, and the end of all these things happen. So we have the majority of the book of Revelation actually deals with judgment. And honestly, for you and for me, it was a little exhausting getting through all these judgments, but there was one message that, that, that kind of continued on going through, cry out to Christ now while well, there's a time of grace. We kept talking about that. Also, we saw that Christ was going to, God was going to fulfill every promise and redeem his, his creation and Christ was going to be set above all. So that's where we're at and, and so we've, we went through the thousand years. Then we saw the great white throne judgment where the dead were raised also to life. And they were judged and then thrown into the burning lake of sulfur, which we tend to call hell, and uh, with eternity. And that's also where Satan went. That's where the, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet went. They all went into hell, the burning lake of sulfur for eternity. Now, the good stuff. Now, what we've all been waiting for. Chapter 21. And Solomon said this. He Solomon says he has put eternity into man's heart. And it's interesting because... Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought heaven was a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, uh, refers to a resting place of heroes and hints at a tree of life. Pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said this, the day thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Although these descriptions all portray the afterlife, and of course they're all different, the unifying testimony is that in the human heart throughout history, we believe we have the sense of eternity in us. And, of course, Solomon affirmed that by saying God has put eternity into our hearts. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. But we're talking about a substance more sure, a prophetic word that has proven itself time and time again to be true. We're, we're looking to to that word, God's word, for the truths about heaven. And often, you know, when you lay back or you're, you're somewhere really cool, um, you know, this, this, uh, yesterday we went with the American Heritage Girls and the Trail Life group, uh, it's like uh, scout groups, up to Palm Springs. We went to the aerial Tramway and took it up to San Jacinto. And, and uh, once we kind of broke away from, the, most of the groups all went home. My family stayed up there. And we decided to just go do more hiking, and it was was cool. There was, like, a storm coming through, and we were hiking, and it was just, like, a great time. And we found this little place right before turning around where we could have a snack, and I I just kind of laid back on a rock and was, like, looking at the pine trees and, and the sky and just, like, you know, it's one of those times where you go, this is as good as it gets, you know. My family's around just hanging out, enjoying being together. And, uh, but I'll tell you right now, those times when we say this is as good as it gets, it's not. There's something way better waiting for us. There's an eternity waiting for us. And uh, that's where we go tonight into Revelation 21. So let's go ahead and read these first few verses. 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more... as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May God have blessing in the reading of his word. Pray with me, would you? Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, you've given it to us so that we, we can know. We don't have to wander around groping aimlessly in the dark, but God, you've given us your word and ultimately you've given us your son as the light to show us our way. So Lord, we pray now that as we read your word and understand it, your Holy Spirit would help us to apply it, help us to do it so that we can please you, God, and we can know you more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Heaven's an interesting subject. In fact when we think about heaven, we also tend to think about time and eternity because the idea of eternity is kind of a a, a perplexing idea. And I, I know when I was a younger Christian, especially, I wasn't so sure that that heaven would be as great as I thought. I mean, floating around on a cloud, playing a harp, I mean, eventually it's going to get old, right? Well, that's not at all what heaven is. At least it's not the biblical heaven, the, the one the Bible shares with us. In fact, I don't think there will ever be anything boring in heaven. Uh, and, and here's one thing to think about just before we get into this text. God is an infinite God. That means that you cannot exhaust God. You cannot understand him fully. You can never just be like, okay, I'm finished like putting together a puzzle. I get it. I understand the scope and breadth and everything about God. We're just never gonna be able to exhaust him. And and that is the God we're gonna have an eternity to spend with and learn about. So right there alone, I'll tell you, it's gonna be awesome being with God in eternity. But when we think about heaven, one of the first questions we ask is where is heaven? And the scriptures kind of give us some relational idea to where heaven is. And there's three heavens mentioned in scriptures. There's the heavens where the, the birds fly around, the sky. Okay, then there's the heavens the, where the starry constellations, the starry host hang, which is space. Obviously, that there's that term of heaven. And then there's this third heaven that Paul says he was caught up to, that John was co- taken up to. And that's heaven, the dwelling of God, that place where God is. and And so when we speak of heaven, we tend to, to, to recognize that there is a, there is a place called heaven, but, but how do we get there? Where is it? And scripture always refers to it as up, uh, Jesus ascended up, John was called up, Paul was caught up. Stephen, however, looked into, it says, when he was being martyred. It said that when Stephen was being martyred, it says he looked in and saw saw the son next to the father and, and, and he knew that, okay, this is good. I'm, I'm going to be with the Lord. And so Stephen looked into, and we have this sense that although heaven is a place, it's definitely not a place that we could reach by traveling in the normal means. Um, God wants us to understand it's not something just figurative. It's not just an idea for us to to grasp hold of and, but, but has no substance. It is a real place, but how we get there. Is interesting. I mean, when we go up, we hit space. And which way is up in space? That's a great question. But but when we, if we were to travel to the moon, for instance, let's say you and I, um, uh, we actually took some time, and and we decided we were gonna just build a bridge to the moon and, and walk there. The moon is over two hundred thousand miles away. Okay, just to give you an idea. So two hundred thousand miles from Earth, uh, you. You know, you could probably take you about 27 years going 24 miles a day to walk to the moon. 27 years you could get there. But let's speed that up a little bit. Let's say we were traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per, per second. Uh, we could get to the moon in one and a half seconds traveling the speed of light in whatever spaceship we were in that could, could hit hit that speed. So le- so we, we travel to the moon one and a half seconds. Well, let's, let's go a little bit farther to the, to, than the moon. Do you know you could reach Venus in two minutes, and 11 seconds? If you kept going on to Mercury, it would take you four and a half minutes. If we went further again, traveling at that speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, we could reach Jupiter in 35 minutes and 11 seconds. And, of course, if we continued on Saturn, we could reach in one hour and 11 seconds. And, by the way, Saturn is 790 million miles away. It's almost an unfathomable distance for us to think about. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I when I realize the moon is two hundred thousand miles away, and I think about the first astronauts who who landed on the moon, <laughs> you're like, those guys are crazy. Two hundred thousand miles is the most treacherous, uh, hostile environment known to man, and they're going to go there. You know, it just. But anyway, uh, Saturn seven hundred ninety million miles away, and if we continued going out into space, it would take us. Uh, we, we'd reach Pluto, Pluto in four hours because it's a little bit longer and it's 2.7 billion miles from the earth and, if, and, and now we're really out there but if we continued traveling at the speed of light, we, we would continue, it would take us uh, a few hours, a few more hours to get to the nearest neighbor star which is Alpha Centauri. That, that's 4.3 light years away and uh, so take a 4.3 years traveling the speed of light uh, I'm sorry, sorry, I, I mixed up my notes here. It'll take us 4.3 years traveling the speed of light to reach the closest star, Alpha Centauri. Now, we don't see that star in our northern hemisphere. If you went into the southern hemisphere, you would see it. Uh, it's in Centaurus, the, the constellation Centaurus, Alpha Centauri. But it's 25 trillion miles away. I mean, when you th- when we consider... How far and how vast just our own galaxy is? What it would take to to travel across our own, our very own galaxy, the Milky Way, it, it just seems unfathomable. And you know what God says? What the Bible says about God? It says He's measured the water in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span. If you ask God, God, how big is space? About that big. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and obviously the 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 prophet Isaiah is helping us to understand that no 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 space is vast space is huge but our god is much greater than all of that and it's obviously using a, a, a anthropomorphic expression to explain how great an infinite god is so where do we how do we get to heaven well obviously the the easy answer is jesus christ you right <laughs> i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me but but to actually travel there, I, I think we have to say that it's really another dimension, a, an unforeseen dimension. And again, these are all speculations because the fact is, is I don't know. And neither do we. We just know it exists. We know Jesus went back to be with the Father. He's going to prepare a place for us and come back for us from there. And we know that others have gone before us. We know that the, the Bible tells us that to be absent from this earthly tent or body is to be present with the Lord for those who are in Jesus Christ. So to get to heaven, um, it, it's very different than, uh, than just taking a, a space travel. Could we ever find heaven by accident? Could we stumble across on the backside of a planet? No. You know, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and some of their writings have God living on a planet out there in the universe... And, and you have to understand, though, their theology is based around this infinite regress of past gods. That the, the God of this universe had a God that he worshipped, and the God, that God had a God, and so on. But God does not reside on a planet. He doesn't re- reside in a place. His, dwe- His dwelling is in heaven. And, uh, and I want you to realize as we get into Revelation 21, the first thing it says is, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. First thing is new heaven, new earth. The the word here for new is it it, it is it's like the, the it's equivalent to the Hebrew word bara, which is used in the creation account, and and what it means is to create completely new out out from nothing. It's not a recreation, it's not a remodeling of the earth, it's not, okay, we're going to do this. Just like in the creation, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, he bara, he, he created it brand new, out of nothing, we use the term creation, ex nihilo, uh, creation out of nothing. God is going to create these new heavens and these new earth, completely new. So we have to ask ourselves, well, well what about the old one? The old one's passed away, it's gone. It's completely passed away. Why? Why is that necessary? Romans tells us that creation groans in eager expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That that this earth, this 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 place has been so affected by sin, and and uh, evil that God says, "Okay, we're making it all new. We're we're getting rid of this whole thing and we're starting new." But there'll be some significant differences with the new heavens and the new earth. The new heaven and the new earth. That, that one of those key sentence uh, uh, distinctions is the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So one of the first things we're going to see is the, the, the new Jerusalem, this new holy city, is, is, which is totally new, which is, is God's throne place or God's dwelling place, is going to be coming down out of heaven And making his dwelling with men, tabernacling with, he's tabernacling with us. He's making his dwelling here. He's establishing himself. And I want to point this out. John hears a loud voice. And and 21 times we, we hear a loud voice and it's significant. It means like, hey, listen up. And so he hears a loud voice. And in that loud voice we see that it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Three times John is told to affirm this. He writes this down as he hears this loud voice. The dwelling of God is with man. He will be their God and he will dwell with them. Three times he wants to make sure you get this, that this new heavens, new earth is going to be one of the distinctions of it is God dwelling with us, not the separation. So what does that do with the Jeho- Jehovah's Witness theory of the, hundred, the 144,000 actually get to go with, be with God and the rest are here in paradise earth? Well, it throws it out because it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God's dwelling is with man. What does it do with the Mormon idea of heaven? The Mormon idea of heaven is there's a celestial kingdom a celestial kingdom and a terrestrial kingdom, these three kingdoms. And, and depending on, on, you know, if you've been a really good, good Mormon and gone to temple and done all these sorts of things, you get to be with Jesus and God. If, if you're not as good, you go to the next level of heaven, and Jesus comes and visits. And then if you go to, if you're just, you know, you're decent, you and I who are just regular Christians, uh, we, we would be in that, other, that bottom level. Jesus doesn't come, but it's still paradise. Whenever I talk to a Mormon, I said, but you know what I'm understand, I love Jesus. I want to be with him. I love, I, for me, heaven is not without God. In fact, if we were to define the term heaven it, from scripture, from a scriptural perspective, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. That's what Wayne Grudem tells us. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. That's what heaven is. So in scripture, when we see heaven constantly, and we talk about heaven right now, where God is on his throne and stuff, it's because God's there. And that's where he's that's where he makes known his presence. That's that's where you can be with God in and as a man is face to face, right? With another person. That's heaven. But eventually there's a new heaven and new earth. Isaiah said it this way: for behold, I create new heaven. Heavens and a new earth, the former thing shall not be remembered or come into mind. And then he says in Isaiah 66, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And it's interesting because these two chapters in Isaiah have to deal with the millennial kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we see a lot of times in prophecy. When 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 prophecy comes about, it almost is like two. Sometimes it's two events squeezed in, and sometimes it's even more than two events, kind of squeezed into one section. So we don't fully understand it. But then Revelation gives us a better understanding, showing us that there is this millennial kingdom, and then the new heavens and the new earth. And by the way, just so you know, the word for new there in Isaiah for new heavens, new earth is bara, creation, for, totally new. Peter said, according to his promise, we are waiting for a. New heavens and a new earth in which, in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise. Christians, this is what we're waiting for. This is ultimately what you and I, our goal is to be with God. The new heavens and the new earth. And notice in verse 2, is that the new Jerusalem comes down. What is it? It's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Some of you guys have experienced marriage and some have not yet. I don't know about you, those of you who experienced marriage, but probably one of the few things I remember from my wedding day was those doors opening up in the back of the church. I think we were like the first wedding in this building. Those doors opening up and me seeing my bride. And man... She was decked out. I mean, she was like, she was in that white gown. It was beautiful. She had her her all of her jewelry on. Her hair done special. And it was like, well, And I, you know, I had like a, a tux on. But guys, you know, I mean, I've never noticed guys? Like, I mean, even when we put on tux, it's still like, hey, it's me, you know. <laughs> but 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 brides, man, they. I mean, they can really go. I, I'll never forget helping to remove bobby pins that night. And I was like, how many bobby pins do they fit in here? I was like, good thing we didn't walk by any giant magnets. <laughs> you know, I was like. <laughs> um, but, but when I saw my wife adorned, prepared, it was like, whoa, this is awesome. And, and I, I'll never forget that, that, that scene when those doors opened up and seen her for the first time. And so as, as John says this, that is prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Oh, man, God has been preparing this. He's been working on this, and he's ready to do this, and it's going to be incredible for us to see. It'll be, it'll be beautiful, I- amazing. And I, I, I love the fact that John uses these words to describe it for us, because I think we all can know we all know that wedding day, and we've all experienced somebody getting married and seen how much preparation a bride goes through to get married. Um, You know, it's hours and hours of time and preparation. So so with a loud voice, God says, My dwelling is with man, and I will be with him. He will be my people. God himself will be with him as their God. Let's go to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're all waiting for, right? This is that bliss, that utopian that we desire so much. The millennial kingdom started out that way, didn't it? it? If you remember the millennial kingdom, Christ came reigning, things were changed. Christ was ruling with a rod of iron. But then Satan was released at the end and he went forth deceiving. And we saw that man's heart was the problem last week and man was deceived. and, And we still saw death. But now that God has judged, now that judgment is over... Who are we left with? We're left with the victors, the overcomers, the conquerors. That's who we are in Christ. Christ is the conqueror. We, too, are conquerors more than conquerors through him. And we we have this waiting for us, the wiping away of every tear from our eyes. Now, what does that mean? Um, you know, some have tried to put in that in heaven, some have tried to talk about how heaven, you know, if, if you haven't been serving the Lord well and, and, and you kind of got in by the, just barely got into heaven, which I don't even understand that. But, but, but you haven't been serving the, the Lord well. You're going you're gonna to be grieved that, man, I wish I could go back and serve him more. And, and, or you'll see another saint and seeing what God's doing with him and rewarding him. And you, you'll have this grief and, and you're going to be crying over this and shedding tears. And first of all, I don't think that's at all what this passage says. He's going to wipe away our tears. What do we cry over? What are the things that you and I cry over? Man, when it comes down to it, the things we cry over, those hurts, those heartaches, are usually the result of sin. Well actually, I, I, can, I can say they're, they're, they're always the result of sin. And what I mean by that is when someone hurts us directly, they break our heart. we see sin. When we come into contact with the hurting, the poor, the starving, it can bring about tears, because we see the effects of a sinful world. Death, death always brings about tears in us. That's the effect of sin in this life. God is going to put an end to the effect of sin, and 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 when we don't have sin, what do we have? We have rejoicing. And, and he'll wipe every tear. Listen, I've never liked the idea of the, the uh, kind of, I, 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 we recognize Scripture teaches us that we will be rewarded. But I don't like the idea of this whole overcomer idea that some people put through that it's really about our works in this, in this thing. And if we barely make it. Listen, first of all, I get into heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone. Not by my works. And, and that's, that's a, a key thing as the church. We need to remember we get in by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is all about Christ. It always has been about Christ. And whether we're cra- grasping onto him and barely hanging on or we've got a solid grip, it's about him. That's how I get into heaven. Now, will we be rewarded for things done here on earth? Yes, we will. But I don't think it's going to be one of those things where we're like, oh, man, man, look at that guy's rewards. Man, I don't measure up. No, because it's all about Christ. And when we see that someone served Christ in such a way, we're going to be like, amen, man, that is awesome. Look at what that guy did for Christ. And when I get my little tiny trophy, like my participation award, I'm going to be like, yeah, I got my he participated ribbon, you know. (laughs) So I'm okay with that. Because I love the Lord and I just want to be with Him. It's all about Him. I was talking to, or we were rock climbing a little bit this weekend. And of course, my wife, whenever the kids want to climb on rocks, she's like, Dave, Dave. You know, she's always freaking out. I'm like, Laura, let them work it out. She's like, they're going to fall. And I'm like, OK, we'll pick them up. You know, but um, we were kind of rock climbing on all these boulders up there yesterday. And I was teaching Claire, because Claire's my one that wants to be the adventurer. Uh, and uh, I was teaching Claire about like rock climbing and always having three points of contact with the rock, and explaining what that means, and kind of going through teaching her how to manipulate holds and do different things. And and then um, and then she she came to a spot where there was a big drop between two rocks, and she's like, "Dad, I can't do this. Look at the, look at the drop. Look at the drop." And and I was telling her, I I was telling her, "Honey, don't focus on the drop. Focus on the rock." And I kept saying, don't focus on the drop, focus on the rock. Fill it out, take your time, find your position. And then uh, I think it was Dave Shore, I don't know, maybe it was Ken. Was it you, Ken? No, I think it was Dave Shore. Because it was really godly, so I'm going to go with that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I'm doing this, and, and, and Dave says, man, that's a great illustration for Christ. I'm like, yeah, of course it is. No, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think that is a great illustration for Christ. Don't focus on what could happen. Just focus on him. As we focus on him, there's no problem. In fact, all throughout scripture, it doesn't say don't focus on not, don't focus on the sin, focus on him. That's what we're supposed to do. If we focus on the sin, what do we think about the sin? What do we want to do? The sin. But if we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we want to do? Be with him, love him? We want to continue keeping our focus upon the rock. So when it says he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, death shall be no more. There should be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Man, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we desire. The sad part is it cannot ever be brought in by man. As much as people want to try to... Level it out. As much as people want to bring in the, this utopian society, it is only going to come when God finally recreates everything. When He gets rid of the old and builds the new. The question is, will you be a part of it? That's the, really the focus where you need to ask yourself. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I love that, that, that verse. Behold, I am making all things new. We're, we're putting away, we're putting behind the old, everything's new. And one thing I, I think about when we when we talk about making all things new, have you ever gotten something new? And when you get something new, you're like, oh, man, this is great. Like when I get a new truck or and it smells amazing inside, you're like, oh, it smells so good. And then you take the first youth trip and it's gone, you know. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that's a Frappuccino there. All right, on the... Florence yep that there it is i i'll never forget having a surfboard at one of my newer surfboards, and taking it out in the water, and it was just like, oh man! You, you know, when you have a surfboard, you really care for it. You don't want anybody to ding it. You, it comes comes out of the bag, goes into the water, comes out of the water into the bag, and and uh, I'll never forget watching a youth kid. We were at a beach party, like with the youth group, and she goes and she's like, I hadn't yet put it in the bag. It was on top of the bag, and she goes and she jumps on the surfboard to act like she's surfing, and I'm just like, ah, and it just goes. Poof. And it just breaks. And I'm like, Well, Lord, all things are going to burn anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know. But here's the thing about God's new. God's new will not wear out. And we're going to see that next week when we we see that when God creates something new, it's going to keep its shine. It's not going to dull over time. It's not going to get boring. Not going to get old. How often do we get tired of things that were new? we were so excited to get, when when iOS 8 comes out, we're like, yes, this is so much better than iOS 7. When when iOS 9 comes out, for those of you who are Mac users, uh, you're like, oh, yes, they finally fixed this and added this, finally, you know, and, uh, and there's things with iOS 9 right now that I'm like, I can't wait for iOS 10, I hope they fix this in it, I send out my emails to Apple, Apple, you should be doing this, I don't know why you didn't think about this in iOS 1, you know, that's like the... The things I do with Apple. But uh, when those things are new, we they wear out quickly. But with God, it won't wear out. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. This is key. For these words are trustworthy and true. What words? The words of God are always trustworthy and true. If you ever wonder what can be trusted, what can be true, go to God's word. It is the steady standard. Now, in our, our world today, in our culture... People are are questioning the word of God. They always have. All throughout the civilization, we've always been questioning the word of God. Well, does God really know what's best? And, of course, that happened right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that caused all this mess. Did God really say you would die if you took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And, yep, absolutely. God's word is true and trustworthy. So, listen, if you're questioning, well, what should I do? How should I act? Go to God's word because he is the only trustworthy and true one. And he said to me, it is done. What's done? The completion of all these things. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. And what is this saying to you and I? It's telling us that not only is all creation sourced in God, it starts with God, creation of time and space. But, but he's the sustainer of it and he is the goal of it all. He's our goal. God is our goal. And a lot of times we, we have trouble with that. Well, what does that mean? God is my goal. To be with him. That is our goal. That is what we live for on a daily basis if we remember to do so. So um, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Throughout scripture, the the spring of Water is always referred to as the idea of someone being parched and really receiving that quenching, life-giving drink of water. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In Jeremiah, Israel is rebuked because they... They left the fountain of living water. There it is. It's right there. You can take and you can drink from it and you can have fellowship with me. But they've left it behind and they said, hey, we can make a better fountain. We're going to hew out these cisterns. But the problem is their cisterns held no water. And a cistern that doesn't hold water or a camelback or a canteen or a cup that holds no water is useless. Because that's its primary purpose. So it will have that water when you're thirsty that you can drink of it. In Christ, we find that living water and God promises that anyone who's thirsty, I'll give that spring of living water uh, without payment because you know what? He already purchased it. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. There's the heritage. You're adopted in Christ. Sons, heirs to, to everything Christ is heir to. It's a wonderful promise from God. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Here, once again, we have another warning. And by the way, this is the last mention of hell in the entire Bible. Right here. This is it. We're going to have another warning for, for those who are um, fall into this sin list. The cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. But this is the last mention of hell. And what this last mention is, is saying, hey, this is not where you want to be. So how do we get out of this? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 tells us that, do you not know that that the ungodly will not inherit the kingdom of God? Which is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. Have you been washed? Have you been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb? You know, it, some people get this idea that I can be a Christian and just continue on in my sin. And John tells us, no way can you do that. I'm just wondering. Oh, pull it up. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw everybody's eyes looking up. And I'm like, what are they looking at? Sorry. Uh, John tells us there's no way that we can walk in the darkness. Because if we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves and do not live by the truth. But those of us who, but if we walk in the light as he is in the life, in the light, we have fellowship with him. That's how we have fellowship. So, so does that mean we have to just never sin again? Well, good luck with that until that day of completion. I don't think that's going to be possible. But what it does mean is you're not going to tolerate ongoing sin in your life. Well, what does that mean for an addict? What does that mean for you who struggle with addiction? Well, that means that you don't tolerate it. You don't just succumb to the addiction and say, well, too bad. This is all I've got. I, well, God, you know, I can't do anything about it. No, no, the Scripture says you can do a lot about it. In fact, the scripture says we have victory in Christ. The scriptures say that that we have a battle to fight, and we've got to crucify the flesh. Even if you have an addictive personality, the scripture has a lot to say about it. Don't just accept it. The Bible tells us that God will not put us into any temptation that we cannot bear, but He'll always provide a way out for us. Even for you, who are addicted to a particular type of sin, He will provide a way out for you. In fact. That's part of the purpose of the church, to encourage you, to spur you on, to get you, help you get out of that sin. Don't just accept sin in your life and so deceive yourselves. That's who that, this list is. Those who have rejected God, those who have done, are doing these detestable things, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire. That is not what God wants us to be set apart for him. He has an inheritance for us. Listen, if you remember, right in the beginning of Revelation, we saw we saw some promises. In fact, the first mention of heaven in the Book of Revelation was in three twenty-one, uh, or chapter three. But this is what we're promised in Revelation: the letters to the seven churches. We see that the overcomers will eat the tree of life in verse two, chapter two, verse seven. They'll not be hurt by the second death, verse 11. They'll be given hidden manna and a white stone, verse 17. They'll receive authority over the nations, verse 26. Not have their names blotted from the book of life, Verse through chapter 3, verse 5. Be a pillar in the temple of their God, verse 12. And sit with Christ on his thr- throne, verse 21. All of these things are the inheritance that to those who are in Christ, who choose to overcome, to choose to follow Christ. Don't accept sin in your life. Don't do it. In closing, I just want to leave you with this verse. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Let's just go there real fast in our Bibles or they'll probably pull it up here. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells us. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because when we think about heaven, we want to go there. In fact, when, when I read about heaven in scriptures, that's one of the things I, you know, I want to go there. That's where I want to be. But more than that, it's saying that that is where our citizenship resides. It's like an exile. Someone who's being raised in exile and, and they've never been to their homeland, their home country. But eventually, they get called back to it. Eventually, they get to go there and be there. And, and, and that is what you're living for, to get to go back to your home. That is your home. And Christians, we need to keep that in mind that the home here, where we're at here on the earth, is really, we're sojourners. Just passing through. This is not our earthly home. So that means we're not living for this place, but rather keeping a light touch on the things in this place and waiting for the glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're living for. So I ask you, where are you at with that? Have you been so focused that you've been anchoring yourself to this world and to this home? Or are you focused on anchoring yourself to your heavenly home, your true home, the home you belong in. That transition will be a whole lot easier <laughs> if you're focused on heaven, it'll be, and it'll also bring a whole lot more gr- less grief to the things in this life when you keep a light touch on them, when you when you're not hanging on to them so heavy that when they're ripped from us, our lives fall apart. I encourage you tonight, guys, all of you in this room, make sure you turn to the living God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's still a time of grace, because heaven does await us. And by the way, you're not going to find out much about heaven from all to, all these books that like heaven is for real. And the, I mean, I'm, I haven't read heaven is for real, but but these books where people go to heaven and they experience heaven and, so, and they also have contradictory things about heaven. Just go to the Word of God because it is true. And that that when we go to the Word of God, we're also going to find out it's way better than anything those books say. So cling to that rock, focus on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your promises of heaven. And, Lord, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Lord, the fact that there will be no more death, no more tears, no more mourning. We've been through this book of Revelation, this prophecy you've given to John for us, the church. And we've seen a whole lot of death. But here we are. We've arrived. And, Lord, we can't wait for that day when you say, behold, I am making all things new. So, Lord, we look forward to that, and we just ask for you to bless your people now. Help us to stay focused on heaven, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.